Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness. Great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? This is Gretchen Gagel, and I am so excited to welcome the chairman and founder of Conversant, Mickey Connolly, to the podcast. Welcome, Mickey. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be back here with you. Yeah. So Mickey and I were having a conversation the other day. We, as we are recording this, are smack dab in the middle of a global pandemic that has shifted um, the world, I guess, in a way, but created a, a, a greater level of virtual communication. And obviously, one of the things we care most about here at Conversant is uh, the ability to have these high quality, timely conversations within um, organizations. And um, so we thought it would be helpful to talk about the conversation meter and some examples of um, why that's critical and the application within a virtual setting. So let's talk about the conversation meter first. Well, for those of you who we've never had the good fortune to work with before, the conversation meter is something that we use to keep ourselves awake and agile about making sure that any conversation produces a good result. And if you think of it like a speedometer, so that classic half moon speedometer that you have in your car, and it goes from zero to 100, and it's divided into four quadrants. So zero to 25 is pretense. And then 26 to 50, that's sincerity. Then 51 to 75 is accuracy, and 76 to 100 is authenticity. So you've got this from low to high quadrants of pretense, sincerity, accuracy, and authenticity. And what we do is we work with ourselves and other people to be really effective at being able to tell where a conversation is at a given moment on the meter, and then also how to elevate it. Now, why do you want to elevate it? Mm -hmm. It's because the higher on the meter, the lower the supervision is needed after people make agreements. Mm -hmm. And the higher on the meter, the greater the trust in the relationships. So those two things we think are really crucial in organizational life. And because we've done so much work with people in this in person, it may not be obvious that you can also do this in a virtual conversation. Right. So let's describe those quadrants just really quickly for our listeners. So if, if we're in pretense, and I, I love it when we practice this with people, what does that look like? Well, pretense is either lying or withholding information. Mm -hmm. And we find the vast majority of the time, the reason that people are dishonest or withholding something is mainly out of worry or fear, not as a breakdown in their ethical constitution. Mm -hmm. So we find that people as a function of fear, and often the fear is as ordinary as, I don't know how to cope with the consequences if I said what I really think, mm. that people often withhold. So we find there's way more withholding than outright lying. And both of them, we think the majority of the time are a function of fear. Yeah. So we're just kind of shutting down and not engaging in the communication, um, the conversation with that other person. And, and then we move into sincerity. And um, the second quadrant, what does that look like? Well, sincerity is a lovely word because it means that we're saying what we really feel, think, and 
it's really important for us to get that that I sincerely believe something does not guarantee that it is accurately true. Right. So I arrive at a sincere opinion very quickly. I sincerely like, don't like, approve, disapprove. And we often ask people, what's the speed of a sincere opinion? And people will tell us instant, fast, quick. So then we ask a question, mm-hmm. well, what's the speed of understanding? And it gets to be very quiet. And people tell us all over the world, well, it's longer than an instant, which means the speed mm-hmm. of an opinion is faster than the speed of real understanding of a different point of view. So that's why sincerity for us is still below 50 on the meter. It's honest, but it's self-absorbed. It's actually taking my perception and acting like it's the truth. Right. Truth to me, which is what I say, you know, it's their reality and and they've created that truth and that story um, for themselves. And then then we move into accuracy. So in accurate conversations, we're carefully understanding and separating facts from interpretations about what those facts mean. Another way we say that is separating facts from explanations. And it makes a huge difference if we realize that the test for fact conversationally is actually that we both agree it's a fact. (laughs) So the starting place for accurate conversations are mutually observable facts. We find that in accurate conversations, the real discipline is being awake to my explanations are not facts so that we can keep those separate from one another. So for instance, there are some people saying that in the middle of this COVID-19 crisis, that the economy is being destroyed. Okay, that is an explanation. There are also people who are hearkening back to the previous times of crisis, some of the great innovations and innovative business models arose from those. Very different explanation. What we look for is which explanations actually move us forward in an effective way and which ones leave us stuck. So we care about facts and explanations, and those all occur in the domain of accuracy. Then we move into authenticity, which is hopefully where, where, you know, this is the gift that we give people is the ability to have authentic conversations. What do those look like? And people often ask us, well, isn't that the same as sincerity? And not in the way that we've used in these words. Because sincerity, accuracy, and authenticity are all forms of honesty. In sincerity, I'm honest about my opinion, my point of view. Accuracy, I'm honest about what is truly factual and not. In authenticity, I'm honest about what matters to me most, and I stay true to it. So the test for authenticity is not only saying something that is true, it is staying true to it. Mm. And the things that are both truthful and a challenge to stay true to tend to be our deepest purposes. Uh, Inside of our organizations, for instance, the values that you say are the fundamental nature of your organizational character. Those would hopefully be authentic purposes. And what makes them authentic is we stay true to them in good times and bad. So authenticity is understanding what matters most to people and looking for where what matters most to you intersects with them. So there's a genuine, honorable place you can stand together to make something happen. And it's so powerful. We've uh, talked to some of our clients. I just did a 
case study podcast with one of our clients around when we build this culture of authentic conversations, how deeply, um, what's the right word I'm looking for, deeply powerful these can be in in building this collaboration and innovation, as we say, unleashing brilliance when we when we have a culture, an organization where many, many, many people understand how to have authentic conversations. So as you know, that really matters to us. And uh, it actually came from a variety of experiences, but one of them that was particularly seminal was years ago when I was leading a communication workshop for a group of people who were trying to resolve a dispute. And we were trying to get an agreement and it didn't look like it was in very good shape. And in the middle of this 30 person session, all of the lighting went out in the Sheraton Crest Hotel in Austin, Texas. And why is because the whole downtown had lost power. And so we were there in the pitch black that people came in with flashlights, asked everybody to stay in place, that we were in a basement conference room and the lighting was worse there in the whole hotel. And they said they wanted to see if they could get emergency lighting on and to please no one get up and stumble around. And so I was going to try to keep the meeting going. And you certainly weren't going to do it by picking up subtle cues of body language (laughs) because I couldn't see my own hands, much less the faces of the people in the room. So I asked people to just summarize where we were so far from the various positions. And as they were speaking, I kept asking myself, what can I discern in the dark? And what became obvious is no matter who spoke and from what position in the conflict, that people are constantly telling you three things. They're telling you what you're for, and they're telling you what they're against, and they're telling you the circumstances that they're coping with. And I I thought this was an extraordinary moment that I really felt like I was getting to know each of these people better in the dark. Because I couldn't relate to them out of some bias about the look on their face or the clothes that they wore. The only thing I could do is hear what they were for, what they were against, and the facts that they were dealing with. So that evolved for us into the four is purposes, and that's really the heart of authenticity. The circumstances are the facts of the matter. That's the heart of accuracy. And Their concerns are sincere worries that people are stuck with and don't have a way out of at that time. So we know that you can still get above 50 on the meter in the dark (laughs) or on a phone call if what we do is we say our primary initial concern is making sure we understand the purposes, concerns, and facts that other people think are important. So if you go there first, then we have a chance to go hunt for that intersection I said is available in accuracy and authenticity. Right. So thinking about all these virtual conversations that are having happening around the globe and people feeling potentially, I don't know if limited is the right word, but um, we've, you know, we've had conversations about how as leaders do we show empathy through the screen and, um, how is how is virtual and technology changing 
And, and so Mickey, you're saying, well, if you can discern this in the dark, you, you should be able to, you know, practice this listening to learn and this curiosity that allows us to have authentic conversations virtually. I, yes, I do think that. And I also think that one of the benefits of this crisis is that it requires of us a different level of focus and attention. Mm. I don't think we can get away with some of the things we get away with when we're with each other in person, because we do pick up body language and subtle cues, whether we're processing them or not, they're affecting us. And in the conditions we're in right now, each moment requires a different level of presence and curiosity. So I think it's a time we can get much stronger at connecting quickly with people who don't start out thinking, acting, and speaking like I do. Because we have this intentional focus on purposes, concerns, and circumstances, and that will get us above 50 on the meter. You shared another powerful story with me about just being able to focus upon these things and and how powerful it can be, especially when people seemingly don't believe that they have a point of commonality. Yeah, I think that one of the most important aspects of the meter, when we work with it deeply with people, we talk about how do you get from 49 to 51 and we talk about the questions that support the art of discovery. Because you get about 50 on the meter is a time of discovery. It's not just, oh, I figured out how to convince them to do what I want. It's actually arriving at places you didn't expect to get. And so what you and I were talking about is there was some years ago uh, a mission that we accepted where there's two international shipping companies who had a merger commitment in their negotiations to close the merger had ran into a huge impasse. And there were a few different aspects to it, but the biggest one was the question of whether they would be union or not union. One of them had been a union or guild company, this is in Europe, for over 125 years. And the other had been non-union for nearly 100. So there were some deep enculturated biases on both sides. and. It did not look good. It was really, really headed by the estimation of the chairman of one of the companies for, uh, he called it an inglorious end that will have us in the newspapers. <laughs> and he wanted to take this last shot. And I loved the place he chose, which was Stratford-upon-Avon. So we were at Shakespeare's birthplace having this conversation with around 60 people, evenly distributed between the two companies, trying to work through this issue. And one of the things that we did was we noticed that they kept arguing about the benefits of a union or a non-union and making each other the villains in the conversation. And so we asked them if each group, each side, because they were operating like sides, would pick six people who they were absolutely certain would be true to their best interests and would represent them well. That only took about 10 minutes. They came up with their six each. And we gave everybody else a break to wander through Stratford-upon-Avon. And then those two groups of six we asked to meet separately and each answer a question, which is for you, what is really important that explains why you want a union? And for the other group, for you, what is truly important that explains why you don't want a union? What we want is we want to understand the reasons behind what you're thinking, the things you care about the most that you think are cared for by being a union or not being a union. So they agreed. 
We gave them 30 minutes to have that conversation. When they came back together, we asked them to show their charts to one another. And over 80% of what they had on the charts was the same. Mm -hmm. And it was a startling moment for people. And I, one, I remember a woman on one of the two teams said something that has haunted me ever since then. She said, this is shocking. And I said, what is shocking about it? She said, it's like finding out the devil agrees with you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so what they did is they started laughing and saying, if we mixed up our charts and showed them to the rest of the group, it would take them a while to realize which one was the right chart for the right group. Yeah. And so they decided they were going to go present their findings to the whole 60 that were more together than you think. And they wanted people to break up into groups and come up with what are different models for organizing and compensating our workforce. And nobody gets to use the label union or not union that take care of these commitments they had, like job security and autonomy and advancing on merit and attracting and keeping talented people, uh, safety, respect. So they did that. And the work they did the rest of that day was extraordinary. And it, it led to them having an agreement in principle and the merger ultimately closed, which we were really pleased with. I think that was an example of people getting into authentic conversations, Gretchen, because going after for you, what's most important tends to get people into a deeper reflection about why things matter. Mm. And keeping that separate from the result called, we want a union, we don't want a union, is important. Because it gives you a chance to say, what are the various ways we haven't even been thinking of to make sure we stay true to these purposes? Mm -hmm. And we often find if you separate purpose from method and result, it's way easier to find the intersection than if you just get stuck on defending why you want the end result that you want. Yeah, that's such a great story, such a powerful story. So I'm out there, I'm listening um, I'm, you know, reflecting about where I am on the conversation meter most of the time with my conversations with people and especially in a virtual setting, how that works, how, and I'm a listener and I, and I really want to think deeply about having these authentic conversations. What are just a couple of tips for people out there as we wrap up this podcast? I have two questions that I always keep in mind to help me get above 50 on the meter. The first is when people take a position that I don't agree with or I don't like or is obviously not mirroring my own, a question to get it into accuracy is, can you tell me what has you say that? If you ask why, you don't get the same factual information. But if you ask what or when or where or who, if you ask what happened that has you say that, people will tend to report real circumstances. And that gives you a way to understand the situation they're in that's uh, much more beneficial. And then the other question is, comes straight from that story we just told about the sh shipping companies, which is for you, what's important about, and then say the position that they're taking. Because really getting interested in what's really important to people, interested enough to ask it two or three times, like they may answer you and you say, and what really is important to you about that? Mm -hmm. You'll find you get into the true reasons that are guiding people and that matter most of them are the ones they want to preserve above all costs. That's so great. 
I'm going to tape those two questions to my laptop so I can practice <laughs> that as well. Uh, we're all a work in progress, right? So Mickey, thank you so much for taking time out today. I, I love these stories and um, how they illustrate the evolution of the conversation meter over time and and um, how we out there virtually together, it, you know, that the certain the context of how we're having these conversations becomes less important than the the depth and the authenticity of the conversation that we're having. So thanks so much for coming today and sharing those thoughts. You are welcome, my friend. And thank you for that impeccably appropriate close, because I would say me too to what you said. Awesome. Thanks, Mickey. Interested in hearing more? Visit us at greatnessconsulting.com. Thank you.